Welcome to a Millennial's Guide to Real Estate Investing. Here is your host, Antoine Martel. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Millennial's Guide to Real Estate Investing. I have a special guest today. His name is James Hunt. He lives in Lakewood, Ohio, which is west of Cleveland, Ohio. He's been in real estate for the past couple of years. He has one rental property under his belt. He's a millennial and he's done a couple of wholesales himself as well. So everybody, please welcome James to the podcast. So how's it going? How's how's everything going in, in Cleveland? And I guess tell us about your first deal and how did that kind of come about? Um, things are going well in Cleveland. Uh, I, I, you know, I was at a uh, real estate meeting yesterday, and I was telling one of the local investors, "I'm like, hey man, you know, Cleveland is no longer a secret. So, you know, <laughs> we're going to have to go south in regards to Ohio. But um, Cleveland is going well. The sun is shining, so we got to take full advantage of uh, the summer months because you know we deal with some harsh conditions oh, yeah. in the winter. Oh, yeah. But uh, things are going well here. Um, unfortunately, we did lose LeBron, but I guess we'll be <laughs> watching LeBron play for the Lakers. So go Lakers. But um, <laughs> yeah, things are things are going well here in Cleveland. Um, to get back online with your point uh, in regards to my first deal was uh, a couple years ago, two years ago to be exact. Um, just decided that I wanted to get into real estate. Um, I've always had... Uh, the entrepreneurial like bug, so to speak. So I had a real estate, I mean, I had a uh, landscaping company in college that did really well. We ended up getting a contract with the post office and awesome. did a couple other things that just left me hungry. Like, I don't know, it's just once I was able to build a crew and actually not be there and get paid, I was like, oh yeah, this is something I want to do for sure, uh, full time. So that's um, awesome. And where, did really, you do that while you were in college or when yes, you were in high yep, school? Yeah, okay. I did that in college. Yeah. So uh, freshman year, sophomore year and junior year and then senior year is when I kind of winded down because I was moving out of state after graduating college. But it was a really great experience and it gave me uh, kind of a baseline in regards to just investing in myself and also just becoming an entrepreneur. So Yeah. yeah and managing um, people. I mean, that's a lot of people you got to manage too. And especially in, you know, real estate when... You know, what I do is I invest all out of state. My whole job is managing people and projects and making sure people are in the right place and doing certain things. So that's an important skill to learn early on. Yeah, yeah, that's key. The, the people management is, is definitely key. And I look at it like customer service, especially with me self-managing. So yep. just being in a space where, uh, you know, just just figuring out who's who and what's what. I'm not a really a, a mechanical or technical guy. But I definitely I'm good at building relationships with people and figuring out who can I use uh, yep. and create relationships with to to push the agenda. So gotcha. And then so after after college, you graduated and then right out of college, were you interested in real estate or what kind of piqued your interest? Somewhat, <clears throat> somewhat just reading. Um, you know, I would read the Wall Street Journal and different things. And so I saw Bitcoin way back before it like exploded. But I didn't invest in that. But uh just stand abreast with uh, what what a lot of the uh, industry leaders were doing. And somehow, um, I don't know where it really came from, but I just was like, you know what? I need to get into real estate. And so at the time, um, they were pushing for uh, millennials to purchase properties within the city limits in Cleveland. So there was a program they had, which was a grant that uh, allowed me to get into a property um, with a with a 
assistance of a grant, I still had to put the traditional 3% down. But what it did was uh, it gave us like a first bid, right? So basically, as long as you were at list, uh, no one could really outbid you. So it was a situation where, you know, it was a good advantage for the city because they were trying to retain those millennials in the the workforce and in the area because a lot of times what happens here is people get their education and they go elsewhere. So they were in a space where they wanted um, less foreclosed homes on the market and they also wanted to have that millennial influence in the real estate sector. So after college, really, I I can't put one uh, significant event that led me to real estate, but something deep inside told me that I needed to be involved in real estate. And then once that opportunity presented itself, I mean, that's just the type of guy I am. I like to take advantage of opportunities. So um, I went through with it. I was in a space where the credit was right and the money was there. So why not? That's awesome. Yeah, and I didn't even know about that about Cleveland because, I mean, Cleveland's population in general has been decreasing since the steel industry left many years ago. And, yes. you know, it's been on a, st- a very steady decline. Uh, yep. But over the past couple of years, that decline has started to slow down a little bit. And they were actually a bunch of studies done because I do invest in Cleveland. So that's one of my markets. I did a lot of research on it. Um, one of the the age groups that's actually staying in Cleveland and is actually increasing in Cleveland is the millennial. And there's a lot of people now who after graduation are actually staying in Cleveland. And I'm not sure if it's due to that grant. And then, you know, let's say a bunch of millennials use that grant. Well, then they create these little millennial neighborhoods or hipster neighborhoods. And then, you know, that drives more and more. It's kind of like a compounding effect. Once you get a little bit of millennials in a certain neighborhood, to buy up some houses and renovate them and make them nice, then, you know, that makes more and more people want to move into that city and, um, you know, do other things that millennials would like and, you know, have coffee shops and all this kind of stuff that's not brand name, maybe in a certain neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, and I think that's one example of when the private sector and public sector were able to come together that's to awesome. uh, promote an agenda that was successful. So. That's awesome. Um, and is, know, that, like you said, is that grant still around? No, no. It was a temporary grant that they had. Um, it was a partnership through Wells Fargo, I believe, but awesome. it's no longer uh, around. But, yeah, I, I just think that at that time they knew that they had a serious problem, so they were trying to figure out how to plug any holes they could. And so, like you mentioned previously, uh, the the decline has slowed. I'm still somewhat curious to see which direction they'll go next, but uh, – I think it was good for the area for sure. And it was good for me. So, you know, I think people will always live here. Everybody can't leave. So uh, my thing is to just provide the best uh, experience, living experience as possible. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there's there's tons of major industries in Cleveland. I mean, you have the Cleveland Clinic, second largest hospital chain in the U.S. Um, and then there's like even just in downtown Cleveland, there's 10 or 15 Fortune 500 companies. Yeah, you got Sherwin-Williams, Key Bank. Yeah. Uh, I think Huntington has a strong presence. So yeah. they, they definitely do in the other hospitals. So there's 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 a opportunity available. Exactly. And then you have Cleveland State University as well. So. Yeah. And then also, I mean, Cleveland's investing a ton in that health tech and health tech corridor with the – that's over in East Cleveland, like close to the Cleveland Clinic. I yes. saw they were like they were they're literally expanding the the major arteries like the freeways and the major roads from downtown to East the Cleveland. East, yeah, the Opportunity Corridor. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, 
and then they're giving Another all example. these all these tax benefits for developers to develop apartment buildings or new hospitals over there and there was a ton like it's all on the cleveland has like a opportunity corridor website right and then they show all of those developments and all the tax credits they're giving and yeah they're really pumping to to change east cleveland and to really drive that health tech corridor yeah there's a there's a lot of opportunity there i think during that time with the decline uh they definitely neglected certain areas and didn't utilize the private industry as the way as they should have yeah. but now i think they understand like they need to do something and i'm I'm in a space now where i'm looking at it's like all right well are we overdeveloping because you know you did mention it did slow down the decline but it has not transitioned Stopped into it. growth and you know studying on a national level looking at like a new york when you look at a class and b class apartment complexes i was reading that the uh the vacancy rates are are becoming an issue for them so you're seeing even rents being dropped in certain areas and so even here with some of these a-class units downtown they have a huge grand opening and then a few months later they don't even have a waiting list anymore so wow. i'm just wondering are people just staying there for one year and then moving to homes or what's or are they just hopping from the newest place to the newest place you know yeah. like the trendy spot but we'll see nobody really knows what the future holds but uh I definitely hope that they they do um, you know just take notice of what's truly happening and don't get too crazy because you know we don't want to see a, a bubble. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, and then so I guess tell us about your first real estate deal. Was it or after college did you go and start working and then you kind yeah. of had some money to start investing? Yeah, so um, started working. Uh, like I said, I just always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So just staying current with my readings and, and just um, remaining active. And I think I started to get into podcasts somewhat. And then that opportunity came. And so I really didn't know the area too well because I'm not originally from Cleveland. So a lot of people told me like, hey, you know, you need to move to this side of town versus this other side of town. If, to be more specific, it's an east and west thing here. Kind of like in Chicago, you have a north and south. So people were saying, hey, you need to go west, for example. And um, so I didn't really have anything outside of that in regards to where to select this property at. Yeah. So I went through, again, I didn't have any type of experience in regards to um, real estate or just doing any type of work within real estate. So I'm viewing these houses with my real estate agent, not really knowing what I'm looking at. It's just like, I just knew like, oh, this place is not it. You know, I would see a space and be like, Oh man, it smells like mold in here. Or you know, I got to, <laughs> I got, I got to become really acquainted with the smell of mold and just yep. what to look out for because you know here with our basements we deal with a lot and you, you, that's a lot of usually that's a troubled area for some of these homes here. The single family homes in particular is the yeah, basement. They have pools. So, in, they have pools in the basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely don't want that. So um, inventory was pretty high at the time. It's not like it is now. So I probably looked at maybe. 20 properties or so but the property I, I purchased um you know it's funny because i tell people i just had that feeling when i pulled up in a driveway i'm like this is it i could just tell from the siding on the unit then i think i did like a quick viewing of the outside of the property notice it had central air hookups and everything i'm like oh yeah this is i don't care what it looks like in the inside <laughs> the outside is done like it's yeah it's good it, it had it had the curb appeal and it had been vacant for quite some time and so I was like, this is huge. And it had a newer garage. So 
huge back patio and porch, and I didn't know about the area, um, but I knew it wasn't too bad of an area, so I actually just went ahead and purchased the property. So I didn't really know what I had until I actually put the property um, up for rent. And then I knew, I was like, oh my. And so I used, I utilized Section 8 the first year um, just because I didn't have a lot of capital to to risk at the time. So I'm like, okay, I need to figure out how to get the income coming in, the revenue coming in on a consistent basis. And I don't have to worry about someone not being able to make their payment because I didn't want to double pay at the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, once I saw how many people were looking for housing in that area i'm like oh man so purchased the property um and did you buy it with it. financing yes yep so it was three percent down the unit was only thirty thousand so oh wow uh yeah yeah it was thirty thousand and then so you know you're looking at appraisals around maybe even 50 today so instant equity in a home and the rents were 750 which i actually kept them 750 i haven't even raised rents just because I know how desirable the area is right now, and I'm thinking that's a competitive advantage is to not even raise the rents right now because my cap rate is is still very nice with a $30,000 purchase price. So um, what I started to do was just figure out, okay, I need to develop relationships with the neighbors. So I introduced myself to the neighbors because a lot of these people who live on the streets, they saw me coming in and out and some of them would say hey do you own this property now i'm like yeah and so they see this young guy a millennial versus my neighbors were at least 60 and above you know retired post office employees and the ones i did meet and so they had been there and they had pride in in the uh in the area even though it had went a lot of them would say it went somewhat south of where they purchased it at so they purchased it pre real estate crash and then you know, they probably had less renters at the time and more homeowners. So um, with that being said, their perception is, oh, the area is going downhill. But to a renter coming from an area that might be a, a little bit more dangerous, this, this is the suburbs to them, you know. So it's, 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 uh, it's, it's funny somewhat. The perspective can be so different. But, yeah, so purchase that property. Um, 30,000 uh, 30, purchase price. All I really had to do was paint, so cosmetic repairs. Um, paint. Did you do those yourself or you hired somebody? No, I hired someone. So I met a guy who painted the unit, which a learning lesson here is one thing I always tell people to do is follow Instagram accounts, Facebook, any social media to <laughs> to stay aware of what is like, what's what's mo what's modern and what's, what's attractive to the market because... I initially painted this unit, the inside, like an electric blue. It was insane. And so <laughs> the painter, I recall him asking me, like, hey, are you sure you want this color? And I'm like, yeah, man, it looks cool. You know, it looks, it was cool to me at the time. But, you know, now if I could go back, I would have just did the standard gray, which you see everywhere with the white molding and whatnot. But yeah, that was just yeah that's what I do on all mine. <laughs> yeah, yep. Standardized the entire process because what I've learned is, if you standardize it, then you'll have leftovers from the next time, and it just makes things flow more consistently. You can yes, sir. swap things out when you have uh, vacancies and whatnot. But so came in, did the cosmetic repairs, and I paid for carpet to be put in. And honestly, that was it. That was um, – and one thing I also did was put ADT on the home, which I paid for. They pay all utilities, and I paid for the ADT, so I give them a sense of security. So my, my, my motto pretty much is to provide clean, safe 
um, real estate for, for tenants. And I think they love that. That's awesome. Okay. So yeah. you bought that property 30 grand. How did you get a loan with only 3% down? I think it's 3.5. Yeah. Cause that, that was, uh, so I actually had to live in a unit for a year. So I didn't become, so I had it for three years, but I didn't become a, a, a true real, a real estate investor until gotcha. I moved out. Yeah. So, gotcha. okay. So you use the FHA. FHA. Loan. Yeah. Yep. So I lived there for a year. So that's how I was able to um, develop those relationships with the neighbors and I just got it rent ready. And then I was able to transition out. Love it. Okay. Like cool. Capitalizing on that and then FHA. when you, so when you converted that from a FHA to, you know, you moving out of that property, did you have to go back to the bank and tell them, Hey, I'm no longer living in this property? No, no. So the way it works is it's written within the law. You just have to stay there for a year. Then it won't go to conventional. But now for my next loan, I can't do FHA or I would have to go conventional on that property. On you the can have yeah. one FHA at a time. Okay. And you have to be within it. Like you have to, for example, if you buy a duplex, you still have to live there for a year. Then you can move out. Or if you buy a four unit, you know, you can have rents coming in from three, live in one for a year, then move out. Gotcha. So, okay. And then so after you, so you bought that house 3% down, lived there for a year. Then you're like, all right, I'm going to rent this thing out. Yes. Let me just clean yep. it up. Yeah. A couple grand. Yeah. yeah, that was the entire game plan in the, awesome. for the entire duration. Yep. Awesome. And then so you moved out. And then now uh, did you buy a second house with conventional or are you renting now? So um, I actually met my girlfriend. Uh, and so we were talking and she's an engineer. So she's a step-by-step type of person. And she had yeah. never really – she had never really like even – heard about real estate and whatnot so i was telling her how things were going and she was kind of curious so um i actually convinced her i'm like hey you know this is a good time to buy so she purchased a duplex in lakewood so we live in the upstairs unit and then we have tenants downstairs and so we're going to do the exact same thing i did with my unit um just stabilize it raise rents in this area because this is the hottest market in oh, probably yeah. uh ohio no nope, you're columbus. right columbus yeah columbus might be close but um, you know, Lakewood is very hot. So we're in Lakewood in the duplex and then we'll do the exact same thing. So we'll probably go conventional here and then transition into another FHA. So awesome. Is yeah. your, so hmm, is your girlfriend allowed to buy the property under her name then with the FHA? And yes. Could... Yep. Cause we're not married. Yep. Exactly. So now that was one thing I told her, I said, well, we need to utilize this before we get engaged <laughs> or married or anything. <laughs> you know, once we become one, you only can have one. Yeah, one so it's like, let's, let's just come to the table with, two FHAs. And then honestly, if we want to, you know, purchase a, a, a large home for just us, we can use the rent revenue or whatever it might be. But she's more or less in the line of uh, the train of thought with me in regards to let's save up that income and keep doing this over and over until it exceeds our actual yeah. work income. Financially so, free. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So let's, so then that first property, then did you rent it out with section eight? Yeah, I did. So that first year, everything went it, it went well. It was great. Um, no issues. They pay every third of the month, right? Direct deposit. And, you know, the tenants weren't, you know, bad at all. I have to say that. Uh, but at the end of it, um, they do these inspections. And so we had an annual inspection. Yeah. And uh, they had said that they found lead in the basement. And so they have really strict uh, policies in regards to lead abatement. So you had to do an entire home remediation in regards to lead and so i had a choice to opt out because it was going to be so expensive i'm like well you know unfortunately 
um, you know, I don't want to proceed with this because financially it wouldn't be a good decision for me. And so they didn't take that well. And so I think their contract ended in October and it should have been out in November. But again, they didn't leave until uh, January. So I didn't receive rent in December or January. And I got my keys back. Didn't have to go through a full eviction. We just talked to a, a magistrate and their attorney actually just handed the keys over. Um, and we just moved forward and I didn't even seek damages or anything yeah. like that. But I just wanted to just get my property back in which now I'm just going through a traditional, uh, rent system with my tenants. Now I have great tenants. Um, they pay early every month. Um, they're actually millennials. So I'm renting to millennials. Now the people who were in section eight were older than me, but, uh, the gotcha. millennials I rent to now, very stable. Um, everything's been going great. And they were, they were actually, the funny thing is the, for both. So the, the first year under section eight, I hosted the open house. And so I had hundreds of people show up the first people to show up. They were my tenants. And then this time around now I had around 300 people to show up. And these guys were the first ones I showed I actually, they were the only ones to see the house before it got cleaned out and whatnot, because they were coming from Michigan to visit. Oh and I think the, the woman was coming for a new job and they kept calling me and I'm like, hey, you know, it's not until this date. And they're like, well, we're coming from Michigan. Do you mind just letting us see it? We don't care. We really like it. So I'm like, OK, I left work for lunch and I took them on a walk and I thought that was it. But they actually being up, winded up being the, the great, you know, choice. I think I, I did really well there. Not that's to say awesome. that you should go with the first people who show <laughs> up, but. It's just funny that that's happened to me these last two times. So That's awesome. And then so how did you, how the hell did you get 300 people to show up to your rental? So um, this was, this was when, uh, honestly, my girlfriend stepped in. So I had already knew that there was huge demand after my first year. And so I knew I wanted to use, I think there's a website called cozy.com um, where they post to like rent.com and Zillow and just traditional rent, um, renting outlets. So I utilize all of the free, uh, rental, um, websites yeah. and software. And then I also put it on section eight as well. I, I didn't know if I wanted to be on section eight or not again, but I knew that, uh, cause the thing with section eight is they only required me to do that home, that full remediation. If there was going to be a child under the age of six living in the unit. So I still could have opted to not do it and just rent to someone who did not have a child under the age of six in the unit. And that's one thing I want to tell you or any other real estate investors listening, especially in the Ohio area um, or anywhere where they're looking into lead and whatnot. Um, anytime a child goes to the hospital these days, they actually check children for high lead levels. And if that child is found to have high lead levels, the first place they look is where you live. So, um, I think when you go in to purchase a property, just being cognizant of knowing who your prospective renters may be and what you need to do to protect your renters and also your investment. That's definitely key. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I did not know. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes too, I mean, you'll get the prop, like whenever you buy a property, you get the property disclosures and those are, you know, from the current owner and they say, oh yeah, this property has lead based pain or doesn't have lead based pain. And you know, this, the plumbing's not working or whatever is wrong. And, yeah. But most of the time, many of these properties that you buy, you know, from other investors or from homeowners, they just have no idea if there's exactly. lead-based paint. They don't even know what the hell's up with the property. So it's very hard to to tell if a property does actually have those that lead-based paint. 
Um, but if you do have tenants moving in, of course, with a very young child, I think you can you can hire somebody to come out and do a lead-based yes. pain inspection, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, they can do an assessment, and I just think that it's better safe than sorry to uh, to just avoid any headaches. And like I said, those tenants I had were great throughout the duration of their um, their their contract within Section 8. It just was until it was disrupted at the end because of the lead situation, things went awry. But of course. Um, outside of that, you know, they were good. But yeah, I just, I, you know, if I would have known that to begin with, I would have put myself in a position to protect uh, you know, the child, the child yeah. living there. Yeah, the child and also the investment as well. Because, again, my whole motto is to provide clean and safe Me real too. estate. So, yeah, and I always say, yeah, and I always say clean, safe, and livable. That's how I make yes. my properties. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. Um, to get back on point, so yeah, so I use, utilize Cozy and all the free outlets, and then also utilize Section 8 as well. And, um, my phone was ringing like crazy and you know my girlfriend used to get upset about just you know the phone ringing so much so what she did was suggest that i started to utilize google sheets and docs and so i created a uh, survey so basically it would say your first last name are you employed sexual offender criminal history past evictions just um baseline things and then it would actually auto populate that survey to a spreadsheet and then so I could filter through, like, if I didn't want people who weren't employed, I just would say, okay, these are people who I know I do not want to rent to because at this time I'm not providing housing for people who do not have income, yeah. um, either through a job or a Section 8 voucher. So, because there are people who will try to rent from me without either or. And yeah. so that's just not the risk I'm taking right now in real estate. But, yeah, um, put those lists up and we hosted it. So I got my keys back on January 17th. On a Wednesday, so we cleaned out the unit on a Saturday, which wasn't bad at all. And then the following weekend had one day where I had to open house from seven to five, and it was nonstop. So wow. every everybody who showed up again, I made what eight hundred and sixty dollars in in uh, application fees, and everybody who showed up didn't put in the application. But I'm pretty sure if I would have stayed longer because we left at five, maybe four thirty ish. If I would have stayed longer, we probably could have cleared a thousand dollars easy. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And do you think yeah. that's that's mostly due because I mean all of my property management companies do use all those tools, right? To list their rental properties or whatever it may be. But do you think it's because of the location and is your property? I think it really is good, location based. Yeah, know? I think it's location based. So, you know, this is on the west side, so you're talking I don't know how familiar you are with Cleveland, but I love the 25th, just 25th that turns into Pearl, that road. So you're talking Ohio City, but all the way up. Clark Fulton, um, you got Pearl, Old Brooklyn, Brooklyn Center. Just that entire strip is just amazing to me. It's so many opportunities. But when you talk about proximity to downtown, it's maybe nine minutes in a vehicle. So that's very, very useful for people who want to live close to downtown but not yep. pay downtown rents. And then uh, in regards to people who may live on the east side or different areas, which might be a little more dangerous, again, it's not a dangerous area at all. So yeah. it's very attractive, uh, just that area. Love it. Okay. And then, yeah, I mean, because Ohio, I mean, location is very important, first of all. Um, you know, many of my properties in Cleveland are actually in East Cleveland or in the suburbs. So all the Heights or something like that, Cleveland yes. Heights, Maple Heights, all those Um I really like those, but 
I mean, there's very, <laughs> there's not as much demand um, just because those properties are a little bit further out. Those are like right. 20 or 30 minutes from downtown or from the health tech corridor. Again, it's going to be around 20 minutes too. Um, so we don't get, you know, that many showings for our properties. We may have an open house or have, you know, four or five private showings. And then, you know, one of those comes through and we get it rented out still in a week or two. But right. I mean, having 300 people, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And so what I did is I saved that list. So then my next unit, they'll know my work and know, cause I'm still going to invest Love in that it. same area. And then I just send out an email blast like, Hey, you know, if you guys are still looking, this is the next unit. And so. Love it. Yeah. Um, no, no, that's very important. And to keep track of all those people who come to your open house or fill out the forms online. Um, we do that with our properties. The property management company in Memphis that I have uses, does that. And okay. especially in the same exact neighborhood. So they'll, she'll keep a list of all those people and names, emails, phone numbers. And while we're rehabbing a property, she'll reach out to those people, give them a call. Hey, sorry, you tried to rent this house, but we have one two blocks away. It's coming on the market. Did you guys want to come and check it out? You know, whether the rehab is done or close to being done, she'll still go show it to those tenants. Um, and maybe the tenants who are a little bit more serious that maybe placed a deposit on your last property. She'll go show the new property mm -hmm. to them and say, hey, here's the same, you know, a property renovated in the exact same way. Because, again, we use the same colors and, and cabinets and all that kind of stuff on the yes. properties. So yep. it looks very similar on the inside. It's just the outside looks a little bit different. But, again, we paint the out exterior same color. We use the same shutters, et cetera. Right. Um, so it's a very easy transition for, especially when, you, when you're when you scaled up a little bit. Like mm -hmm. we have we may have two or three properties under construction and two properties on the market those two properties on the market get rented out fast, but we have, you know, a bunch more demand, then we'll just take those people and show them listings that are, aren't on the market yet. And sometimes we don't even have to take marketing photos or do any marketing at all. It's just that, that one or two deals that we had on the market for rent, we just take that list and move them over to properties down the street. So um, yeah, very exactly. useful list. Exactly. Yeah. Same, same concept here. Um, you know, I, I would tell anybody to, keep those keep those lists if possible because you yeah. never know what, what what your next deal will look like and um you might actually rent to one of those people who missed out because i had people actually show up on the first listing they showed up to the second listing like hey do you remember me and i'm thinking like no i saw <laughs> so many people and this was last year but you know they still wanted the opportunity wow. to rent and and still actually put in you know so this was their second attempt uh with the 20 dollar application fee and Unfortunately, you know, they didn't make it, but um, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, I think we need to continue doing this here because it seems to be the right thing. It's, it's producing the results That's I want to awesome. see. And then how do you how do you like um, managing your own properties? I know so that you've only had one under management, but, you know, has your experience been been going well so far? And is that something you want to continue doing in the future? Yeah, so the first year I didn't have any clue or any systems in place, so... <laughs> It was a complete learning curve. Uh, the second year was, like I said, with my girlfriend's assistance of starting to utilize Google and just make things more uh, remote and automatic automatic here. Um, you know, I've been able to utilize just simple things like I didn't know about the pro um, services with Home Depot or hardware stores where you can just send your contractor in and they send you a text message. So now I don't have to get off the couch to do that type of thing. And you know, just learning as I go and listening to podcasts like yours to figure out, okay, 
what are they doing? And then when you talk about your uh, your property management companies, I'm like, what are they doing as well? So I can kind of incorporate that into my, my own model because my end all goal would to be um, to hire an assistant or someone who can manage full time um, and just, yeah, just do the exact the same way. thing. Yeah, yeah, doing the exact same thing I'm doing. And hopefully uh, they can. I, I really I'm really big into relationships. So hopefully they can continue having a, a high level relationship with the tenants. Um, I haven't experienced what property management looks like yet, but I don't know if if it's a huge property management company, I don't know if they can have a true relationship. Like I think uh, my manager would be able to have if they follow my system. So, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, there's property management companies that manage 3000 properties and each PM or property manager that they have manages, you know, 150, 200 houses. I mean, there's no way to keep that relationship high um, with those tenants and, and work with them in certain situations. I mean, it's, it's a balance, right? I mean, there's the balance of running a business and making money and then also keeping a relationship. And, you know, there's pros and cons to being more relationship-based versus being more profit-based. I mean, right. if you're more relationship-based, then hopefully the tenants stay a little bit longer, right? So you sign right. tenants on one-year leases, but, you know, they like you so much and you work with them and et cetera, then, you know, they end up staying three or four years and you end up saving money on, on yeah. transition costs and, and you know on all the headache stuff, but then it's also, you know, you have to spend time to get those relationships and build those relationships when that time could then be used for, you know, focusing on growing portfolios. So, you know, there's give or give and takes for, for everything. And it's just about the kind of model that you want to, that you want to have it and what you want to yeah. focus on. I mean, you sound like a relationship type guy. So, you know, maybe the, the relationship size, size of things is something that comes easy to you. Many people, it, it it doesn't come too easy and they don't like dealing with people and stuff like that right. too. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think, and so to go back to your point, you know, I base it on relationships, but primarily I want to make sure it's based upon a business model of speed and efficiency. So when they call me for something, I want them to be like, Oh my God, he sent somebody here so quickly, you know, yep. where it's like, Oh, they came at 11 o'clock at night. And so when I have certain handymen who actually will be able to go out at nighttime say as if you have a uh i don't know what what it looks like when you have a service call for a property management but what i can do is possibly beat i can beat the speed of the property management company and so i think yep. that enhances the relationship by me being there um just instantly but without me being there yeah. so yeah no i love it yeah and no, keeping that nimbleness as you grow your portfolio is is definitely key i mean the pro- the large property management companies there's a whole you know, it needs to go something like an invoice needs to go through two or three people, be uploaded to a portal, et cetera, before that things gets paid. But you know, exactly. when, you're, when you're running your whole your own thing, I mean, you you can just call that contractor. It's just based on how fast you can get that contractor or or technician out to that property to fix it. Um, right. But definitely could be much more nimble than any other property management company. Um, right. For sure. And we and we too. Like in our Memphis property management company, I think they managed two, three hundred homes, but they still have kept that nimbleness and they have, you know, just, I think they have two property managers who help manage those properties. So they, they are still relationship based and they, they like to manage homes in the same exact neighborhood. So kind of like you, if you, again, cause you can utilize that list over and over again. So yes, you can 
you know, if you if you buy the house next door, well, now you already have a list of people who want to move in, and you can exactly. rent that thing out pretty quickly. And you know, yeah. you're growing your list of of renters, you're growing your list of properties, um, and just keep those relationships going. And finding more deals in that neighborhood is what's going to be key. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the end all goal. I mean, I want to get into commercial, but residential is very attractive to me. And and then if I can buy in the same area, to me, even though I have multiple roofs and different furnaces and whatnot. It's still next door, so to speak. Yeah. So you can just go straight next door. It's not like a long haul for the uh, contractors or anybody. So, yeah. yeah, no, true. Yeah, and I mean, I still love the single family home, especially right now with the way the market is. I mean, I've talked about this on other episodes, but you know, commercial real estate right now is very overpriced. There's a ton of properties that you know are selling for six caps, and you know, yeah. I bet your single family home is you know a ten or ten or higher cap. And, yes, much higher. Yeah, <laughs> much higher. Exactly. And so that's what I want to, you know, share with with people who are listening to and who want to, you know, who listen to other mentors who are all about scaling up quickly and yeah, everybody wants to scale up quickly, but scale up smartly too. Don't just, you know, buy a multifamily cuz you want to buy a multifamily and the returns are shit. Like, you know, then focus on the single family, something you can afford and you know, make your 10 or 12% cap rate or nine or 10% cap rate and, you know, make your money every month. And there's benefits to the single families. I mean, are you putting your tenants on one year leases or two year leases? So I actually heard about the two year lease concept from you. So I don't know, maybe um, a little further in the episode, you can explain how you got into that. But no, so I'm actually utilizing the one year, um, the one year deals now, but I think for the next signing i want to introduce the two-year option do it yeah so the way the way that we do it we will list for example what did you list your property for rent for 750 okay 750 so you put it on all those websites um cozy you go through all of it and list it for 750 you have 300 people walk through Mm -hmm. now when people are signing up for their you know signing up Putting in their tenant applications, they have two options: seven hundred fifty bucks for a one-year lease, or seven twenty-five for a two-year lease. Oh, and, okay. And you'll get so they'll get a little bit of a price discount, but it saves you that money on the turnover if they do move out. Um, you can also something else that we do. So you can also have an escalator in the second year. So for example, people come in. Okay, you have two options. One year for seven hundred fifty dollars a month, or two year lease. The first year is seven twenty five. The second year is seven fifty. So it's just that first year you kind of take the cut, but you know you're going to save that money in turnover cost. And that's how we get those kinds of tenants in there um, and to sign up for those two year leases is by providing that little bit of a discount. It helps because it finds a different type of tenant class um, and different type of tenant mindset. You know, the tenant, right. instead of just signing a one-year lease and then, you know, maybe they're wishy-washy if they want to move out after or whatever it may be, then, you know, with the two-year lease, the the tenant is a little bit of a tenant who may want to stay there a little bit longer term and they maybe have a longer vision of staying in that home and in that property. Yeah, exactly. And it locks them in. It locks them in. Exactly. Um, in regards to, you know, market rents being raised, it locks you in at that rate. So I, I really like that concept. And I haven't, that's something that I haven't been seeing utilized or talked about at all. So your, your yeah. podcast was the first place I actually heard <laughs> that from. That's awesome. I was like, wow, that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so we do that all, 
all those houses that we do in Memphis, all two-year leases. And again, having those, that's also because the property management company that we have there is relationship-based, right? So you being very hands-on in the, you know, in the trenches with these tenants, I mean, mm-hmm. your next property you get in that neighborhood, you can call all that, all those people on that list and say, hey, I have a property for rent, two-year lease, it's a little bit cheaper, do you want to lock it in? And, you know, there you go. Yeah, and I'm and I'm almost positive that a few of those people would exactly. take that up instantly. So yeah, that's, that's I'm definitely going to be doing that, and I'll definitely let you know how it goes. Yeah, I'm I'm excited already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, it it's just awesome save hat. it just saves you so much, of, especially when you're self managing, man. I mean, to have that tenant turnover in a year, and then you got to go clean it up, blah blah blah. I mean, just, yeah, it just becomes more work for you. Um, and instead of focusing time on turning over that tenant in 12 months, you can focus on, you know, saving money and, and buying the next deal and focus on renting out a new one instead. Exactly. The scale up, you can focus yep. just on that. Yeah. Which yeah. is my, my goal. So yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, thank you for that. No problem, man. So then outside of that one rental property, you had mentioned to me earlier that you had done a couple of wholesale deals. So how did you, how did that first wholesale deal look for you? Uh, so the first one was just um, actually so when when people started to notice what I was involved in, you know, online and whatnot, they would like statuses and just do different things or whatever. Say, hey, you know, I want to get into real estate. What do you think? And I would always offer uh, any advice I have to people just because I didn't really have that when I got in. Yep. So I just felt like it was my duty to give people information. So. Um, randomly someone, uh, sent me a message on Twitter, I believe like, Hey, you know, I have this, uh, unit available and it was a very low price. And so I'm like, all right, well, let me get it under contract and then I can market it. And so I just threw it out there and it was just done quickly. Like it was, it was like a one or two day turnaround. Yeah. Wow. And where did you market that property? So that was in Akron. That was in Akron, Ohio. But I just put that um, on my own. I didn't even, it didn't even make it to like traditional websites or email blast or going to bigger pockets. Like I just posted, Hey, you know, I got a, a a property um, for this set price on maybe my Instagram. And then somebody sent me a DM. So Oh my god! It was just yeah, it was just one of those things like wow, this was quick. <laughs> <laughs> Making money with Instagram, yeah. I mean, yes. I love yeah, and I love Instagram too. I mean, you you, I think that's is that where you reached out to me on? I believe so. So I I think I was just searching through different podcasts because as I've like continued on the journey here, I feel like I've outgrown some podcasts because yeah, you know they start you off well, but it's like all right, well now I'm actually an investor and I'm learning what not to do. And, uh, you know, I'm not in, in a space where I'm at a hundred units, but I'm not at zero either. So it's, yep. a, it's an awkward space for me to be in. And so I'm looking for different podcasts to, to see what I could find in regards to just new information. So like I've lucked up on your podcast That's and awesome. then once I think you mentioned the, uh, two year deal, I'm like, Oh, I got to follow this guy online. <laughs> so I think I looked I looked you up and uh, I think I found your Instagram that way. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. you actually, yeah, you DM me and you were like, Hey, I listen to your podcast. Great information. Would love to be featured on it too. That's crazy. Yeah, man. And that's so awesome. that's just, like I said, I'm, I'm truly an opportunist at heart. So if I see um, anything, I can kind of just get my foot in the door. I'm, I'm going to do it. 
So, because it's just always, again, for me, at the end of the day, I like to provide that information because I didn't have that. But also, I think it's just good to network with people. And like, we're just having a discussion. Like, there's not too many people I can just go and sit and talk about real estate with and understand the market and just talk about cap rates and stuff. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a small, definitely a small world and a small space. And especially the amount of people who have actually done a deal and done a, yes you know there's people who can hang a conversation with us but then they have no experience to back it up and i mean you look at bigger pockets people have you know a couple thousand forum posts and you know they never even put their more money into it de- <laughs> it's ridiculous i've yeah. been you know i've been talking and i guess mentoring people for a very long time people who have very high paying jobs here in los angeles and yeah been telling them about rental properties and what i've been doing sharing them you know actual numbers for my rental properties to show them that it works and actual projects that I've flipped and showing them case studies after case study and all these different options. And, you know, it's been a year or two years of just showing them information every couple of months. And still to this day, they, they think it's too risky to put up $15,000 to buy a house and that's going to make 250 bucks a month. They think it's safer to put it into the stock market or into a mutual fund that will make you six or seven percent and it's just it blows my mind how much information they have about real estate after reading and listening to podcasts and still are not making the move and you know for somebody to go and take that move maybe yeah it takes a lot of a lot of gut i guess to to put all that time that you've spent researching and then putting your actual dollars at play to see you know how things actually play out yeah i think i'm on the 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 opposite end of the spectrum so you got those people who suffer from whether it's like analysis, analysis paralysis, paralysis. Yeah. yeah sure but me i'm more of a risk taker so i'm kind of like all right uh you know just ask for forgiveness later and just do it exactly. so exactly. um and then i just learn and you know, if i make a mistake i won't do it again so that's my thing it's like all right i have to be my own mentor right now yeah. so yeah once i go through that mistake if i had a mentor they'd probably just tell me hey don't do it again so yeah no, just exactly. using people like the podcast, you know, you, this is our first conversation we had, but you served as a mentor when you said, you know, lock them in for two years. Yep. I'm like, this is genius. So yep. just yeah, utilizing you. technology, man. Exactly. Yeah. And there's so, I mean, that's also the problem with the information, right? Like there's just so much information out there and there's so many different things that you can do, but you know, it's there was a, I also follow like the clever investor and he was talking about, um, you know, how a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, people like you and me will, you know, buy their first rental property or buy their fifth rental property. And then, you know, they're like, okay, that's good. And, you know, I'm going to go do something else now. And, you know, they just, they don't squeeze everything until it's gone. Like they don't, they don't maximize how many loans they can have. So they, you know, they take five loans out and then they, you know, they're like, okay, that's good enough for me. But instead of squeezing out all the opportunity that you possibly can, I mean, you've put all the hard work in to, to get all the knowledge. Now it's time to squeeze every bit of juice out of out of what you can and, you know, get 10 rental properties all under that exactly. same financing. Exactly. Yep. You know, max everything out and then go, you know, go back to the kitchen and cook up something else and do something yeah. else. But, you know, run everything until it's until it's dead, until you beat the crap out of it and then go on to the next thing. And that's something, too, that that I've seen a lot of not only on bigger pockets, but just talking to other people who, who get involved in real estate. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you fully. I'm just squeezing out 
all of the opportunity there because that's that's my goal is to, to get 10 the traditional way then don't have to move to a portfolio then maybe at that time i can look at commercial if i want to yeah. or whatnot but i'm not one of those like i found something that okay this is this is proven now so it works. to me it's like why even jump to commercial right now if i'm like seeing profits and, exactly. and, and experience in residential i mean Commercial is attractive, but talking last night at this real estate meetup I went to, it's like, you have to find out what's best for you. I mean, you don't want to be someone who just follows what everyone else is doing because yep. that might not be best for you. So. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I have, I mean, I have a buddy too, who's, you know, works full time, has some money saved up and, you know, he's been pushing me to do multifamily for a while and, mm. you know, I have to keep bringing up, okay, but look at your res like, look at what you have. Okay. You listen to all these other mentors who, you know, say go multifamily fast as fast as you can, and yeah, you can go multifamily fast, but it's going to be with other people's money, and that other people's money is going to take eighty percent of everything you do. Yeah, and, you know, you work full time, and you know, it's very hard for you to go and find those deals and stuff like that. Why not use that fifty grand that you have and do this, which makes sense, and it's going to take an hour of your time each month to manage this portfolio, you know, with the property management company in place and. You know, look at your resources, the time you have, the money you have, and then your knowledge and your skill set and say, okay, what works best for me now? And, you know, if you're first getting started, which you are, if you're a millennial and listening to this, then, you know, look at those three things and see what makes best sense for you. Um, you know, maybe multifamily is something you want to be doing, but maybe with your current resources, that's just not possible. And it doesn't mean that in five or 10 years that you can't be doing those things and doing what your dreams are, but, you know, start where, start where you can and don't overdo yourself and spread yourself too thin and take too much risk on your first or second deal. You know, start with what you know and with what you have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. We're getting close to an hour here. Um, is there any way that people can reach out to you if they have more questions maybe they're in cleveland lakewood area want to meet up with you and, and learn more about you yeah sure um you can always follow me on twitter it's uh emporium e-m-p-o-r-i-u-m c-e-o and then also you can email me at james at emporium 216.com again that's james at emporium 216.com awesome Awesome, James. Well, nice to have you. Thanks for coming on the podcast and um, hope to have you back on here soon. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good one. You too, bye.